Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. This week's guest says that we need a confidence revolution for women. She says that we need to change confidence, not women. So the old way that we've often been told when we have to be more confident is that we have to be more like our male counterparts. Well, what if there was a totally different way to be confident as a woman? Lauren Curry, OBE, is the founder of Upfront. She is on a mission to change confidence for one million women by 2023. She's also the trustee and chairperson of the incredible charity Pregnant Then Screwed. And in 2017, she was a Awarded an OBE for her services to design and diversity. I am so excited for you to listen to this episode. I believe as mothers, we all need more confidence. I don't think we can have enough confidence in ourselves, in our dreams, in our ability to mother. Imagine that if doubt and questioning ourselves could be replaced with more confidence, even by 1%. That would have a massive impact on how you felt. And this episode is going to help you do that. Here it is. Before we get on to this week's episode, I want to tell you a little bit about our sponsor this week. Portable breast pumps are just brilliant, aren't they? They're convenient, fuss-free, and allow us to get on with whatever we need to do hands-free. And the Frau Pal pump is just brilliant. The pump tucks into your bra so you can pump and go with no wires. It has 12 comfort levels. How good is that? It has capacity for 180 ml milk. And I think this bit is really important. The Frau Pau pump is really competitive and an accessible price point. It's actually over £150 cheaper than many of the other hand-free pumps out there. Frau Pau also offer a totally free midwife live chat every Friday on their website. So anyone can head there if you need some advice from a professional midwife, whether you're pregnant, you have a newborn, or you just need some help with your baby. Listeners of the podcast can get 10% off the Frau Pau breast pump at www.fraupau, that's F-R-A-U-P-O-W, com with the code motherkind10 that's fraupau.com motherkind10 for 10% off your portable breast pump and see the website motherkind.co for t's and c's here is this week's episode Lauren, welcome to the podcast i'm really really excited i think i'm going to learn a lot from you i have been diving into your work and I love the intelligence and the depth with how you activate the things that you care about. So I can't wait to unpack some of that and to hear more of your wisdom. That's such a kind thing to say. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and on International Women's Day as well. Yes. How are you celebrating today? Well, I guess every day is International Women's Day in my world. So we are doing what we always do. We are hosting events, creating dialogue, sharing content. We're having a special event this afternoon all focused around the theme of breaking the bias, which of course is this year's theme. So 434 tickets last time I checked before I joined you. So feeling a bit nervous, excited. Amazing. Excited, I call it. Nervous and excited. (laughs) We're going to dive into confidence and you say a lot change confidence, not women. What does that mean? Because obviously talking about women and confidence is, you know, a well-trodden path, right? There are lots of books, there's a, but this is different. So tell us what you mean by that and why it is different. So the dominant narrative that we hear and learn and are exposed to in the world around confidence is very narrow and it's very linear, And it tells us that there is one version of confidence 
that we should all aspire to, reward, celebrate. And that version of confidence is usually masculine, white, extroverted, often American. You're nodding along, right? Everybody's like, yes, I see that. I feel that. I sense that. The wrapper that goes around that version of confidence is one that is very individualistic. So we are told that we are in charge and we are in control of our own confidence. Women in particular, of course, because we know we suffer the consequences of the patriarchy more than our male peers do. Women in particular are told that we need to change ourselves in order to be more confident or to boost our confidence, or to feel more confident. In some spaces, that's about dress this way, wear this shade of lipstick, do this with your voice. In others, it's meditate more, get better at time management, speak up more, speak up less. Essentially, it's focused on you need to change your behavior. But really what that message is, is how you are presenting yourself, your ideas, your stories, does not fit with what we understand confidence to be. Therefore, you need to change yourself. You know, I'm sure you'll have your story. I've got mine. All of the women in our community and the women that I work with have theirs, where there's usually one or two moments that really stick with us where we've been punished for having too much confidence or having too little confidence. So when we talk about changing confidence, not women, it's about really hammering home this idea that confidence is very much linked to our environment, our society, cultural norms. It's not something that you have individual control over. So that's why we spend so much time putting the emphasis on we want to change confidence, not women, because all of the tropes and narratives that are telling women to change themselves are essentially ignoring the systemic complex nature of humanity, of prejudice, of bias, of sexism, of racism, and all of these things are directly linked to confidence. It's an intersectional idea. And that's the piece that often gets missed in the conversation. I think it's definitely the missing piece. My view is on this is that I think both things can be true. I know for me, there are certain things that I have changed about myself. I've changed my willingness to feel really uncomfortable speaking up in rooms where I wouldn't have spoken up before. That's something that I've done. And I can see how I've bought into perhaps an idea of confidence, which is what you were talking about before, is being the loudest in the room. For me personally, I think it's about holding both those things. Absolutely. That's what Upfront is all about. We are teaching women these tools and strategies and techniques. One of those being exactly as you described, how can I feel good to stand up in front of a room and introduce myself, pitch my business, whatever it might be. But the key thing is the mindset that you have around that and also how you talk about it and what the stories you tell around that are. So it's much more about how can we stretch you outside of your comfort zone in a way that is helping you be more of you. It's not how can we teach Zoe to be more like Tony Robbins, you know, and that's the difference. Yes, exactly. Because that's what true confidence is for me. I want to get what your definition of it, but for me, it's can I show up more and more unapologetically as myself? Yeah. And I love that. I would applaud that and agree with it. And I think it's opera that kind of made this idea famous the goal is always to be more you it's like how can you be even more yourself the way I define confidence I talk a lot about trust I think it's trusting yourself and then knowing what to do to make other people trust you regardless of what room you're in what environment you're in job interview dining room a bar on a Friday night and everything in between. I trust myself and I know how to get the people around about me to trust me. That's really powerful. And would you say that our systems and you just have this fascinating background in service design and thinking about the design of systems and institutions and would you say that the design of our 
systems have been designed to inadvertently or maybe overtly, depending on your view, make women not trust themselves in their voice. And can you unpack that a bit? Because I think as you were talking about the the systemic view of this is so important. Yes, I 100% think and believe there's lots of data that would suggest that this is the case. You know, take Caroline's work around invisible women. You know, the systems that we live, work and play in are built to reinforce the status quo. And the status quo looks like people of one social group dominating all other social groups. All we need to do right now is turn on any news channel to see the dire consequences of that reality. When you have entire countries being led by people who all look the same and all went to the same school and all have the same accent. So yes, I think absolutely right from political institutions through to, you know, our media. And it starts so young, you know, of course, this is a huge part of your work, Zoe, and the folks who listen to this podcast, parenting and young children. I hear so many stories of people who are raising boys and girls, and then they get to a certain age, and everything starts to change, particularly for girls, who up until a certain age, see themselves equal, just as strong, whatever that might look like. And then really quickly, there starts to be a very strong external message of, but girls don't do that. Girls don't laugh loudly. Girls don't jump in puddles. Girls don't climb rocks, whatever it might be. Now, do all these patriarchal norms around confidence, do they harm men and boys? 100%. Absolutely. It just so happens that my work and my mission is focused on women and girls but that's why we talk about changing confidence because it's not serving anybody it doesn't serve anybody it puts us into boxes and defines it so narrowly that we end up using that definition against each other which is where all the tropes of women being bitchy and you know when a certain woman gets to a leadership position she's going to pull the ladders up and make sure nobody else gets up behind her or you know we've all heard those kind of derogatory ideas about women supporting other women and you know I think race is a fundamental core part of this conversation I mean Instagram is the shiny place for all the stories around you know speak up and say what you think and yes and let's talk about how it's a very very different thing for a white woman to speak up than it is for a black woman to speak up and that reality is very real and for so many black and brown women, they have to choose between, am I going to speak up or do I bite my tongue so that I get to stay here or I have a shot or I get a chance? And they are having to make sacrifices and trade-offs that their white peers don't have to make. And so how does that understanding of our privilege intersect with the idea of confidence How can I, for example, as a very privileged white woman, use my confidence to support black and brown women? For example, how can we intersect those two things together? Yeah, I think it's one of the core ideas behind Upfront. And the Upfront started in 2016. I never set out to found a business. It all could have happened by accident. One of those classic stories. But the first iteration of Upfront was very focused on conference stages how do we make actual stages more diverse because I was bored to death of seeing the same five middle-aged white men in the design industry give the same talk on rotation and quite frankly the talk ain't even that great so the hypothesis I came up with was let's have a big red sofa on stage so that people with stage fright can chill out on a sofa while I give my talk they can realize that it's not that scary, that audiences are kind. You know, it's not about everybody must go and be a TED speaker, but it's about if that's something that you want to do, if you want to or you need to talk to an audience, you know how to and you feel comfortable in doing that. And that idea of the couch on stage, we talked about is physically sharing your power. It's sharing your platform. We talk a lot at Upfront about 
collective progress. You know, this is not about me helping, you know, Amanda get that promotion and earn more money. It's like, yes, that will happen. But the narrative around that is about so much more than that one individual person. It's like, how do we ask questions like, who's not in this room? How do we challenge authority in our professional lives, circumstances, so that this conversation spreads beyond women talking to other women? And I think it's about recognising the lie that we've been sold, that there is not enough room for everybody, essentially, and really embracing this idea that if I help you rise, everybody wins. If I give everything away that I know, everybody wins. And that is very much where I operate from and I have done for a very long time. And I know, you know, back in 2008, when I built my first business, I used to get a lot of like, is this a good idea? And what about IP? And what about this and this? And I think generosity is such an underrated competitive advantage in all areas of life. And I think if you start your day with this intention of how can I share my power? We both know that the people that you and I know with the most power are not asking themselves that question. So what can you and I do to role model that and to force those people? And yes, I did use the word force. Force those people to ask themselves often the questions more than how do I share my power? It's how do I get out of the way? How do I move aside and make space for other voices and new voices of different and genuinely, genuinely diverse and inclusive communities and stories? Yesterday, you gave me an incredible idea because I was watching your TED talk and you had the sofa and the five individuals sat on there who were one day dreaming of doing it and they were going to watch it. I was thinking... I don't have a TED talk in the diary. How can I be part of this? Because I was so inspired with it. So I've decided that when I'm recording an interview like this, and I wanted to do it today for this, but I didn't have time to set up, I'm going to invite someone to just sit in the corner virtually who can watch the process, who can watch how I set it up, how you and I interact. The tech of it is someone that wants to start a podcast or maybe has one. Or And I just thought, gosh, I can't believe I've never thought of that before firstly but also just so grateful for you for that idea of how do we open up these seemingly closed rooms because there'll be some people thinking I don't have a clue how to do a podcast yeah it's really simple but I think there's something about opening up exactly as you said like sharing that platform and opening it up so that's something that I'm gonna do going forward yeah I love that and I think it's a brilliant idea you know someone anyone with a significant platform, which undoubtedly, you know, you have. So it's like, how can I use my relationships, the people that you know, the people who listen to you? It's like, who can you put in front of them who ordinarily would not be able to have access to that type of network and that type of audience? And, you know, it's important that these things are done thoughtfully and intentionally because I know for me sometimes I hear a new idea and I'm like whoa I'm gonna go do this thing and it's I think especially when it's about privilege and power the thoughtfulness needs to be there so that it achieves what we want it to achieve and it doesn't feel like the kind of white savior pattern that we see and I very much still learning about that and all of the core ideas that underpin white supremacy because it's so important that we do this obviously our intention is right but the actual action and how it's delivered also has to be right what are you still learning about that gosh I mean it's an everyday lifelong journey I think of educating myself and understanding my whiteness and the role that that has played in my life up until now, the role it plays in the decisions that I make in every room, every conversation that I'm in. I think right now a very kind of present thing that I'm working on with coaches and different brilliant black and brown women who specialise in anti-racist education 
is, you know, we talk a lot about a diverse community up front. We have our global bond community. We have our six-week bond course. So we talk a lot about inclusive bonds, diverse bonds. And it's like, what does that actually mean? And how are we measuring that? And what are the things as the leader of those bonds in those spaces that I am putting down in black and white and sharing in public on this is my stance on these ideas. These are the non-negotiable targets, outcomes, whatever we want to call it. Because I think so much of how we talk about feminism and gender equality in women's progress is still very white and it misses out the truth that, you know, women as a group are no more equal than men and women are. We have so, so, so much work to do. And I'm under no illusion that that will not be done in my lifetime for me. You know, it's big. And what are you still learning about confidence, something that you live and breathe every day? And I'm guessing every bond, which is these groups of women you bring together, I'm guessing you learn so much more every time. So what are the big insights or themes or patterns that you've learned about it from running those groups? And what are you still learning? Yeah, you know, you're so right. And it's one reason why it sounds cheesy, but I always say like, I just love my work so much because I genuinely still learn all the time. And often the stuff that I'm teaching, I'm still, you know, that thing of if you want to really learn something and embody it, the fastest way to do that is to teach it to other people. I think confidence is a similar thing where there's no end point, you know, there's no final destination. It's something that ebbs and flows and that goal of always being more myself, finding people to collaborate with, to work with, to partner with, to learn from, who help me do that in the best, kindest, most joyful way. You know, that is all learning, trial and error, experimenting. And one of the things that we are working on at the moment is how we visualize or make tangible the different cultural conditions that surround confidence, depending on what part of the world you're from, depending on you know how you grew up, depending on the social groups that you're part of. So for example, the norms and ideas around confidence are very different in a Nigerian household than they are in a French household, for example. And because our bonds are becoming increasingly global, like we are working on this idea of a confidence culture map to help people recognize and start to draw lines and pull threads between the behaviors and the ideas that they see showing up in themselves and how that links back to the place that they call home. I'm really fascinated by that idea. I think the other piece of continual learning is that thing that we just talked about on the sharing of power. When we fulfill our mission of supporting one million women with their confidence, if we do that well and we do that in a way where the top priority of that newfound confidence is sharing it, like that's a big deal. These changes are real. The ripple effects are real. And all of the data and the feedback we're getting is showing us that it's powerful and impactful But it's like, what do we want that to be? You know, let's get really specific and clear and tangible on how will the world be different when we succeed? So that's always an open tab in my notebook slash brain. I love that question. That is one of the questions I asked myself when I started Motherkind. How would the world be different if I was successful? I absolutely love that question. And what would your answer? I want to know. It's changed, you know, because I, like you, you know, I've learned so much, but I really want every single mother to believe in herself. It's very aligned with confidence. I think the ripple effect of that would be incredible on the world. And of course, the systematic changes that we need to support mothers differently. And as you were talking, I was thinking about It's so interesting, isn't it? Because we use these words like confidence. It's a word that every single person listening would have heard of or have a relationship with. And I think because there's that sort of, well, of course, it's good to be confident. But I just thought to myself, wouldn't it be powerful to really unpack that why? 
Because Lauren, you're someone who has clearly such entrepreneurial skill. You seem to care so deeply about so many topics and yet you chose women's confidence as your current single focus. So what do you think the impact, like that 1 million impact, you talked about sharing the power, but what would the impact be of more women being able to sit in more rooms, to pitch their ideas more easily, to speak up where they would have kept quiet? Why is it so important? I think it's taken me multiple businesses over multiple years to land on that focus. You know, I only went full time last April. So it's been such a process of realizing that it always just comes. I'm like, oh, we're back here again. Oh, here we are back at the, you know, the Matt says confidence and the big red door. I feel like regardless of the context, whether it's leadership, money, motherhood, politics, you end up back there. And it's the thing that comes up in every conversation. It's the thing that has had a huge influence in my own life and my career and the decisions that I've made. And I think the reason that I have decided to focus on it is A, because it's so fundamentally broken, like how the world understands confidence, talks about confidence, is so skewed and squishy that it just becomes this thing that perpetuates sexism and prejudice and bias and norms that we all want to get rid of. And then if we imagine, okay, if we can get rid of that, as you say, like, what difference does it make? What happens when women and non-binary people trust themselves? Well, it changes how people parent. It changes how you spend money. It changes how you take care of yourself, changes how you work, how you talk to yourself. And when you amplify that and multiply it, then that changes the world. You know, it changes elections, changes businesses, influences policy. And today, you know, when I was putting the story together that I'm going to talk about to the community for International Women's Day, I was pulling together different examples of women who are demonstrating a confidence that they have defined on their terms So it's rejecting this idea of mimicking masculine traits or behaviour because that's another thing. I try not to talk about male and female and talk about masculine and feminine because we've all had female peers or bosses who have also reinforced this kind of aggressive, domineering style of confidence that hasn't served anybody. So that's why the focus is on confidence. And also it feels doable. Like I feel like we can do it. It feels like, it's like I can put my hand around it and get it and be like, we can really make a dent with this if we get this right. Yeah, because one of the limiting beliefs that I think we've absorbed about confidence is that you have it or you don't. And people talk about it, don't they? You're so confident. Oh, I don't have the confidence. What have you learned about that and how do you teach confidence yeah you're totally right it's one of the myths that I love to bust it's like nobody is born confident like you don't see a newborn baby and say like give this baby a talk show like that's not how it works but aren't we born confident because I don't see any babies thinking oh if I cry I might get rejected from here or I think surely babies what I've seen in my little two is that they seem so fully themselves well that's what I was going to say I think they are themselves but they are not the problematic version of confidence that we're describing they are the version that we're all aspiring to because they don't give a shit they're just building the den and they want the den to be the best it's going to be and the den is not an extension of their value and their self-worth in society you know they're the most masterful teachers when it comes to this stuff. My wee boy's four. And when I watch him, you know, we went swimming at the weekend and it's like watching him kind of integrate into a group and without any words spoken, they decide, I want to play with you. Can I play? And they say, yes. There's like an assumed confidence. It's like, of course, they're going to want to play with me. Of course, this is going to work out well for me. But if you imagine how we might go into a networking event where we don't know anybody there, like it ain't going to be that, you know, it's going to be a very different thing. So this idea that 
it's not an innate trait, I think is a very, very powerful lesson that, you know, I want everybody to learn is that it's not something you're born with. It's something you can learn the same way you learned to breastfeed and the same way you can learn to write code. You can learn to be confident. And the kind of really short answer to your question on how you teach it is we teach it through community and action. So we teach it by giving people tools and strategies that are backed up by evidence-based research that shows, you know, these ideas or thought patterns or behaviours increase self-belief. For example, one that's fairly well known is your relationship with celebrating your progress, documenting that progress, sharing that progress with others. It's about teaching those strategies and then having a community that is a brave space. You know, we talk about the difference between a safe space and a brave space. It is a brave space where you can practice being more yourself. You can practice laughing the loud laugh that you've been told your whole life to quieten and be genuinely supported and challenged in that. And I think it's a very unique combination of factors that you can't really replicate with friends or family or loved ones to be in a space where every single person is on this same journey of, you know, what are the shackles I need to let go of and unlearn? Because we've all got these stories that kind of hang over us like clouds. And it also works the other way for people who have been told they're too confident. And, you know, that's what my story is. And you're saying yours too. You know, there's one story which I'll tell you about, which happened maybe 10 years ago now, and I probably still think about it once a week. When I was in a meeting with someone who was mentoring me and my business partners, an older middle-aged man, and he looked at me and said, less rara from you. That phrase has haunted me because it taps into all of the stories I heard at school of you're too big for your boots, you're a show off, you think you're better than everybody else, you're too loud, your laugh's too loud, your voice is too loud, you talk too much, you're trying to be centre of attention. You know, anybody Scottish listening will know this, like, who does she think she is? It's a very West Coast of Scotland, uh, very ingrained. And, you know, I now understand that that's because there's a very clear kind of set of rules where we're told we can either be working class and not very clever or clever, but you think you're better than everybody else. And, you know, I think we see that play out with politicians and lots of different people in the public. But I can see now that that's what was happening to me. People didn't know what box to put me in. And the result was you're too much of everything. You need to dial yourself down. And it's taken me a lot of years and a lot of unlearning to reject those ideas and to understand that I have a gift for public speaking. I'm a natural performer. I'm a storyteller. Like all these things that make me great at my job that I'm really proud of. Those are the things that name calling or phrases we're trying to squash. And everybody has those, you know, you'll have your version of that, which I would love to hear if we have time. Yeah, my version is not dissimilar, interestingly. I was never the centre of attention, but I always loved communicating. I was very loud. My parents nicknamed me Foghorn Annie, I think, because I was just so loud. Like they used to call me a foghorn. I could project my voice. And when I was younger, I was on the stage because I, where I grew up, there was Instruction Avon, very famous theatres. And But through school, actually, it was peers. I went to an all-girls school and I was bullied. And I, I really learned just to not put my head above the parapet keep quiet, keep quiet. And it's interesting as my platform now is growing, the fear is still in me. And I have to remember you're safe now. But on some extent, it's more nuanced than that. Because as you're describing, when you do speak up, you do get criticism. Essentially, at some point, I will get those bullies because that's what happens when you speak up. So I'm really working on my nervous system, training my nervous system because my nine-year-old nervous system reacted very strongly to that shutting down. I love these conversations in the depth because we throw these words confidence around, don't we? And what I'm really learned from you and your work in this conversation is that it is incredibly deep. 
the unlearning that we have to do. And then for me, it's all about my nervous system. It's not, I can tell myself a thousand affirmations that I'm, you know, doesn't work because my body somatically tells me it's not okay and hijacks me. So it's very, very deep this, but it's also transformational, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And I think our bodies is such a big part of confidence as well. You know, our breath and our body and how we we use our body to help us get to the place we want to get to. I think people often forget that we have this incredible machine that actually we have a huge amount of control over. I get emails all the time. How do I stop blushing? I can't stop shaking. My cheeks always go red and I'm sweating. And, you know, the place I always start with from that stuff is that's okay. It's not a disaster. It's not a crisis. Awkwardness is not fatal. Nobody dies if you blush more than you would like to in a meeting. However, I understand that there are some professional circumstances where we don't want those things to happen. And the answer to preventing those things from happening is in our breath and in our body and how we can keep telling our body that is, as you say, jumping into the kind of fear or fight mode that you're safe and that there are no tigers trying to eat you. They're just an audience who want to hear what you've got to say. Exactly. And as I was prepping for this, I read on something that you'd written that the number one reason that mothers don't go back to work is confidence. And I was really keen to unpack that because obviously this conversation is is for mothers. So first up on that, I'd love to hear your personal story. How did motherhood impact your confidence? Did it positively, neutrally, negatively? What's that been like for you? I think it has impacted my confidence in a positive way because it has made me less forgiving of people who are not the right people for me to be spending time with, giving my energy to. I guess people like conversations and situations. I think when you are tired, as all mothers are, and you no longer have the privilege of time that you used to have, these decisions become easier, or they did for me. I feel I have much more conviction in how I will spend my time and who I'll spend it with. Because if I'm spending time not with my child and not with myself, then I want it to be a time that will fill me up and not drain me. In saying that, you know, it's definitely, I feel like we could have a whole other conversation just on the motherhood bit because my journey was not an easy one. I had a heteroopic pregnancy, which is similar to an ectopic pregnancy, but there's two eggs. So that meant that I very nearly lost my own life and I lost one of my babies. The other baby is here and he's four and he's called Atlas and he's the strongest baby in the world and he's brilliant. But that was very traumatic of course and I think it wasn't until Atlas was born that the trauma of all of that kicked in which I now know is like a very classic thing so my body was just in like let's be pregnant and get this baby out safely and then I didn't catch a break any further and had a very traumatic birth which led to me being diagnosed with PTSD So I had very intense therapy for PTSD for the first nine months of Atlas's life. And I feel really proud that I can tell you that today. Well, there's nothing wrong with with tears. I know it would have been okay. It would be okay to cry. I feel that it's a scar, not a wound anymore, as Brenny Brown would say. I feel happy and comfortable to share that and for two reasons one to further burst the bubble because I know there's people who would look at my Instagram and think everything's all figured out and it's all rosy and that's definitely not the case but yeah I think the healing process that I had to go through around that taught me a huge amount about myself but my friendships my relationship with my partner Chris and 
you know, motherhood, it's definitely not a sole focus of what we do up front, but it's a very big part of it because, of course, I'm on the board of Pregnant Then Screwed, so I'm a huge advocate of the work that they do and I've been involved with them since day one and also have my own child. But I see and hear the stories every day of what maternity leave, birth, early years does to women's confidence and I think it's such a stark, clear, crystal clear example of what you asked me earlier around, is this systemic, is it about the institutions and the systems and the processes? Because as Dr. Sophie Brock says, it's not our children that make being a mum hard, it's the patriarchal institution of motherhood that we live within that makes it hard. So it's that thing of, the processes, the structures that women need to be able to heal and care for themselves and their children are not there. They are inaccessible, they are expensive, and for many they are not even there. So that's going to lead to erosion of community, you know, emotional labour, stigma, guilt, a very long list of things that will crush your confidence. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. You're very welcome. You know, I talk about this almost daily, but it still staggers me, the environment that we are operating in as mothers today. And yet what I find so, and I'm sure you found this as well, is the first thing we tend to do as women is blame ourselves. And I'm guessing a really big part of what you do is help women not to do that, is to see that within the context, because we know this is true. Something's hard and we blame ourselves. I must be doing it wrong. I need to try harder. I need to change. And that's really full circle on what we're talking about with this idea of confidence at the start, right? When you talk about changing confidence, not women, it's the same. It's not that we need to be more like this. It's actually, as you were talking about, taking the far fuller picture of confidence. And I think you've done that amazingly today and you do that amazingly up front as well. I mean, we've literally escaped. We've moved to Sweden to move to a country where the systems are set up and are designed for families and mothers and carers. Now, I'm not saying it's perfect, it's far from it, but it's doing a lot of things right when it comes to supporting families and supporting mothers. And it's really quite remarkable to be here and just be among the norm of there's just dads with buggies everywhere you know and I've lived in London for seven years it's one of the most progressive cities in the world there are not dads with buggies everywhere and here it's very real and you can see it and feel it and there's so much work to do and that's why we make our course is free if you're on maternity leave always has been always will be so we always have a large cohort of folks who come through who are on maternity leave or just about to go off of maternity leave and I think that two things that piece of oh wait a minute it's not my fault and for nine months or more everything's been telling me it's because I'm not eating enough almonds before I go to bed or you know whatever the thing is and wait a minute there's hundreds of women around me from all over the world who also feel this way and those two things combined are really powerful and really help people. That's incredible. I didn't know that you did that. So if someone's listening and they're on maternity leave or they're about to go on maternity leave, they can do the course for free. Yeah. So the next bond starts on June 6th and it lasts for six weeks. We ask for three hours a week of your time. More or less is fine. So I know when you have a small baby, that might feel like a lot of time. Yeah, you can join for free. Absolutely. We'd love to have you. You can just mail us for the code. That is incredible. I just wanted to ask you one more thing, which was about, you know, you as a mother and, you know, really diving into your work. I see someone who is, you know, incredible at making things happen. And I know that that takes time. And something that I always want to ask people when I get successful entrepreneurial mothers on, and also as a system designer, How have you designed the system of your life so that you can be as present mum that you want to be 
and do the incredible things that you want to do in the world without the top of the triangle burning out. How have you done that? Gosh, I mean, there's a big assumption in there that I'm not burning out, which some days I would argue with you that, oh, no, I think I might be. Um, So I definitely do not have it all figured out. But I think the very short answer to your question is who I chose to have a baby with. You know, my partner is the person who does the majority of the childcare, the majority of our housework, the majority of our life admin, which seems to have 10 x since we moved to Sweden. Very difficult now doing everything in a language that we don't speak. It's that. That's why I can work the way that I work. And I also have an amazing team. You know, it's a very new team, but we are growing. And I sometimes catch myself asking this question about people, you know, you scroll through and you see the amazing professional accolade and then the next slide is like the amazing family day out and then the and you're like gosh they're just ticking all the boxes and you want to say how do you do it it's that thing of how are you doing it all but then I think I would never ask a man that I would never ask a man that question and I feel like when I see a woman doing it all in inverted commas you assume that she is actually doing it all herself Whereas when you see a man doing it all, you assume there's a babysitter, there's a spouse, there's a cleaner, there's a PA, there's an editorial team, there's a content designer, there's a web developer, whatever that might be. I saw on Twitter recently, forgive me, I can't remember the name of the journalist, but she said, let's normalize asking these kind of heavy hitters, the titans of their field that we love to interview. Let's ask them, what's your help situation? And I was like, I freaking love that. It's like, what is your help situation? I totally agree. And that's why actually I love asking that question. Because what you've just said is, my partner takes on the majority. I talk very openly about my childcare setup, about the privilege that enabled me to, that enables, because I think you're absolutely right. Otherwise, it can look like there's some secret that the rest of us mere mortals don't. And it's not true. I've spoken to some of the best people in the world on this subject of motherhood and some of the best thinking. And none of those are doing it without huge amounts behind the scenes support and help and privilege. Yeah. And it's so easy to think, oh, everybody's got it all figured out. And I haven't. And the truth is, everybody is making sacrifices. There are always trade-offs. And I would definitely say that the pandemic and lockdown has made mothering and working much easier for me. I've put my kid to bed every night, probably for the past two years. Whereas before, pre-COVID, I was flying to different countries, maybe once every month, maybe twice a month. I think it's given everybody a taste of now. And of course, that's a whole other podcast on how harmful All of that has been for mothers and women in particular. But I think there is also positivity in there for those of us who were lucky enough to have the infrastructure and the support to say, actually, this is, it's like, it's better. I'd way rather be snuggling in this bed, reading Tiger Comes to Tea, than being on a fucking sweaty tube going to Camden. Like, yes, please. Exactly. It feels like a real moment, doesn't it, to not go back, to not allow ourselves to go back into that broken system. It feels like a real moment. Before we close, two things. I want to ask you the final question, but before we do, how does someone get more info about you and Upfront and where does someone go, particularly with that incredible maternity leave offer? Yes. So I am Lauren Curry on Instagram and Twitter. So you can talk to me on both those places. Upfront on Instagram is at Upfront Global and you can sign up to our newsletter for free which we send out every Tuesday to over 4,000 folks with ideas and links around confidence, visibility, a lot of the themes that we've talked about today and that's the best way to stay up to date with Bond 6. So each cohort of our course is called a Bond which is the collective noun for a group of women and Bond 6 will launch on June 6th. And all you need to do is go to the website and sign up and we can send you your maternity leave code. The last question, which I ask every guest, is if you could give just one gift 
to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? And I have prepared my answer. You have. Very organised. Thank you. I thought about this question. And the gift I would give to all of the mothers in the world is the audacity, opportunity and freedom that white men in suits are afforded. Wow. Gives me goosebumps. I had a physical reaction to that because I've got goosebumps. Well, I've done my job well. That makes me happy. (laughs) Can you imagine what would change? I want to live in that world. Me too. Oh, that's the world we're trying to build, right? Yeah, we have to see it. We have to feel it before we can create it. It's been such a joy, especially on International Women's Day. So thank you. And thank you for your time. And thank you for Upfront and all the work that you do as well. It's incredible. And for your work with Pregnant and Screwed. We're huge fans, of course, here at Motherkind. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Zoe. Thank you, Motherkind. Before you go, I would love to tell you about a new podcast hosted by Kate Ferdinand called Blended, which I have been loving. So Blended delves into topics like second marriages, grief, adoption, fostering, and not so wicked stepmothers. Guests have included the likes of Simon Thomas and his wife, Jarena, who speak about finding love after loss, as well as Ashley John Baptiste, who covers with Kate his experience of growing up in care and how this has impacted his own parenting journey. All the episodes I've listened to, I've found to be incredibly thought-provoking and Kate does such a brilliant job at sharing her own experiences of being in a blended family along the way. So just search Blended with Kate Ferdinand on your podcast listening platform of choice to subscribe now. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything, testing out the world of self care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon. <laughs>